Raiders rank 23rd in the NFL in run defense, averaging 124 yards against per game. That's not great. And that's only part of the reason that the home team should be pounding the ball at them. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into hockey and or baseball, I also offer daily shots of Penguins and Pirates in the same place that you found this. It'll be Steelers versus Packers, 1.02 p.m. Sunday at Akershore Stadium. I'll be covering that for DK Pittsburgh Sports. I'll also be covering practice today over on the south side. And the vibe over there, the general feel, is um, upbeat about this offense. And there's no reason that it shouldn't be after putting together 166 rushing yards against the Titans a week ago today. Najee Harris, Jalen Warren, in whatever order you want to mention them, were a big part of that. The offensive line was a big part of that. And yet everyone involved will tell you There's more to go. They speak of the running game in the future tense. Listen to Kenny Pickett yesterday. Yeah, it was huge. I, I thought the balance was there. Um, you know, 22 and 30 ran the ball great. The line was was uh, firing off the ball. They were protected really well, stayed clean majority of the game. Um, so that's that's kind of what we're, we're, we're trying to get to here. Here's the future tense, where we want to be. Well, they're not there yet. And what they know that maybe not a lot of other people will realize yet is that their full running game has not yet come close to being installed because they haven't even used the other two weapons, at least not to any significant extent, for the better part of this season. Those, of course, being the combination of Calvin Austin III and Anthony McFarland. McFarland's been out almost all season. Austin's missed some time of his own. And what you've lost were essentially several pages of the original playbook, several pages that were going to get a lot of wear and tear this fall. Take it from someone who was out in Latrobe watching again and again and again, Austin and McFarland. Operating out of the backfield, sometimes in a two-back set, sometimes in a wide receiver formation, but they'd come across and take a handoff from Kenny while one or two uh, full-time running backs would plow forward into the line. These were plays that looked really good in Latrobe and way more important than that, worked really well. In the preseason. Yeah, I know. Preseason, preseason, preseason. Will you ever shut up about the preseason? Maybe, eventually. But I saw it. You saw it. And I saw it relative to previous preseasons. And the weapons that were shown and the manner in which those weapons were utilized, both were unlike anything we'd seen. And then, poof, just like that, there went all those pages. And I'm going to guess that with the uh, the raging imagination of Matt Canada 
requiring probably several months to have come up with those pages, they weren't going to be quickly or easily replaced. Sorry, it was too easy. These guys can make a difference, and they will make a difference. Both Austin and McFarland. And to put that in the simplest possible terminology, if you're running backs... Your base running backs, Najee Harris and Jalen Warren, of course, are the type to go through the middle of the line to go inside the tackles for their most effective runs. Yes, Jalen can hit the edge. Najee really can't. He just thinks he can. But for the most part, they're both interior rushers. They're both guys that are going to make their hay where it's the hardest. It's just their nature. But if you have someone or a couple of someones who can legitimately not just hit those edges, but explode off those edges, who once they get to that edge can turn up field and see a whole lot of grass and make something of it. Man, it's amazing to me how quickly everyone seems to have forgotten the dynamic element that that brought to the entire offense in the preseason. That was a huge component to what had everyone excited. Well, all that happened in the interim was one guy was lost for almost all of that time, McFarland, and as I've mentioned, Austin missed some time of his own. They're here now. Now, I believe that McFarland's going to play. He's been uh, put onto the active roster, replacing Cole Holcomb. Uh, he wouldn't confirm as much to DK Pittsburgh Sports yesterday, but it, everything is pointing in that direction. Man, that alone is going to be something that's a potential game changer for this offense that could still very much use exactly that. When we come back, J1Q... This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by our good friends at Mike's Beer Bar. They're located on Federal Street, directly across from PNC Park. Mike has more than 500 beers on tap, including from more than 50 local breweries. Stop in and say hello. Tell Mike we sent you. Mike's Beer Bar. Today's J1Q comes from Mike, who says... Mike Tomlin is a hypocrite. He benches Chooks Okorafor over an outburst, but George Pickens is a pebble in his shoe? Well, yeah, Mike, because here's the deal. Whatever it was that Chooks said on the field, it was something that the head coach considered to be a completely unacceptable thing to say. You don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. But I'll ask you this. Can you recall any similar situation with Tomlin? I can't. And I've covered the man's entire career. Doesn't mean there wasn't one. It just means that it might not have become public or that it didn't actually happen. But in this case, it obviously happened. Both Tomlin and Chooks acknowledged it. And they both spoke candidly, at least about what it was that was, uh, in the words of 
both men, uh, quote, significant, end quote, reason for his benching. It wasn't the only reason. It was a significant reason for his benching. So let's put this into the most accurate possible context. George wanted the football. George acted like a baby by all accounts after the game. And George then went and acted out stuff on Instagram that the head coach just doesn't care about. And I know that in this social media, I don't want to say ruled, but influenced environment that we live in, we have a hard time understanding that. If we're on, you know, Twitter or Twitter X or whatever the hell it's called now, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, wherever it is that we happen to be, that forum feels like the world. YouTube can do that as well. Where you, it just seems like it's the biggest deal. This is what people think. This is how people are reacting. Well, it isn't for everybody. Do yourself a favor one of these days and check the actual usage of individual social media platforms. And by that, I mean the percentage of the public, the American public, that'll open up, for example, Twitter. I've seen that percentage be in single digits. Like I saw it not all that long ago. And this has nothing to do with the name change, Elon Musk or any of that stuff. I'm talking about before that. It's hovered somewhere in the range of five to seven percent. Well, the head coach of this football team very clearly isn't one of those. So he couldn't care less what the guy is doing on Instagram of all places, which still in all is, you know, a place to put your photos. But the people who do use these platforms go, oh, my God, this is so much worse than what Chooks did or whatever. And it's like, no, maybe it isn't. Maybe it just isn't. Why are we still talking about this? Got me. I'm not the one bringing it up. Thanks for the question. Thanks to everybody for listening. Again, I'll be at practice today, and we will do another one of these shows tomorrow, getting you ready for the Green Bay game.